Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh, my name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, pain, pretty much. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. That's right. No pain, no gain, they say. Yeah, house of pain. Cards of pain. Yeah. That's not one of them. <laughs> But uh, more specifically, the future of pain, which uh, which I think is a pretty jazzy title for a podcast, makes me want to listen to it and find out what we're going to talk about. Yeah, and it turns out that the future of pain is both stark and uh, there's some hope there as yeah. well. And also kind of like the present and past of pain, which is humans figuring out how to make more of it and uh, sometimes how to make less of it. That's right. Yeah. Right. And then there's this whole like duality of pain is better than killing, right? Well, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had the choice to die or have pain inflicted on you, which would you choose? Well, it's it's a matter of degree, right? I mean, if it's like a choice between death and an Indian burn, I'm probably going <laughs> to go for the Indian burn. But um, I don't know. My brother can inflict a mean Indian <laughs> burn. Is he still administering Indian burns? Sometimes. Oh. <laughs> But actually, I was I was thinking about this uh, quote from Scientific American, and it says, pain is intimately tied to brain functions that govern behavior and decision making, including expectation, attention and learning. So it makes sense that we can experience pain and we would alter our behavior to avoid it as much as possible. I mean, most of us would, yeah. right? It tends not. It's it, generally one does not argue in favor of pain when you're like stubbing your toe to death on the coffee table at like three in the morning. But uh, right, because at that point you're kind of like, all right, I get it. I should not ram my little toe into the coffee table, and, and you know, and and yes, my the, the nail is not supposed to be halfway off now. You know, it's like like it, you you kind of reach this frustration point with your body where you just kind of like quit letting me know. Uh, obviously, this. You know, the, the, this, the pain signal is telling me I should not do this. I should correct this action. Right. Or that there's something broken with me. But, you know, after a while, you're kind of like, I got the memo. I'll, you know, write it on my hand. Stop right. giving me, in, you know, incessant pain. That's right. I'll stop touching the hot stove unless I'm Bart Simpson, of course. So I think uh, what this is getting to is that pain is actually really useful mm-hmm. in, in learning how to... Um, Avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> but also it's been really useful for, for a bunch of people. Uh, and I think what we're talking about today more specifically is government entities. And it's, it's a way to, uh, control crowds. Um, and I'm thinking about the pain ray. Yeah. <laughs> the pain ray, which sounds like a, at once a fantastic, you know, sci-fi idea, you know, and, and, and also a terrifying one because yeah. it's, I mean, the pain ray, because on one level you hear it and you're like, it brings to mind this sort of like clean, like electronic, you're not shooting people in the face with rubber bullets, you're just like making them, you know, maybe feel a little discomfort and then, you know, as a corrective action, kind of like a, you know, like when you have to put like a shock collar on a dog um, where you're, which, you know, may not be that humane in some in some interpretations, but for the most part, you're not like whipping the dog with a bullwhip or something. So right. like on that level, yeah, I can see that, you know, making sense. But on the other level, like it's like you're pointing a ray gun at somebody and making them like, like cringe in pain. It's, it's about as horrible as any kind of pain infliction method that we've ever had. Yeah. And to be more specific about it, it's actually a beam of 64 gigahertz radio waves and it can cover a person's entire body. 
and it can cause agonizing pain as it heats water and fat molecules Ugh. beneath the skin surface. So it's like being microwaved, sort of? Yeah, yeah, uh. absolutely. And supposedly it's only in three-second um, increments. Mm-hmm. And so the Department of Defense, uh, who created this, and actually over a two-decade period, um, they claim that the person is not burned because of the shallow penetration in the short time span okay. and the low energy levels employed. But but then again, this also implies that the person using the weapon uh, is uh, is following a set of guidelines or rules, right? Right, right. Yeah. That always comes down to user error, right? Yeah, because um, it's like tasers. In you know, in theory, a taser is a far more humane method of administering uh you know a corrective measure against somebody but if you're misusing it if you're just shooting people in the face with a taser at the drop of a hat instead of say employing other policing techniques such as you know verbal communication or you know then uh, then that's not an ideal situation so right right and um and, and it's, it's interesting that you call it a taser because it really is like the uber taser mm-hmm. i mean the beam can hit someone up to a third of a mile away Whoa. And they're, of course, they're only relieved of the pain when they move out of the way. So this was really something that um, that the Department of Defense wanted to use in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they couldn't clear the legal hurdles. And then they actually had it in Afghanistan, but they removed it uh, really without any explanation. And they, they claimed that they had never used it on anyone there. So right away, you can already see like, hmm, maybe this is not... Perhaps the best idea, although it, it was made as a non-lethal weapon to have crowd control without killing anyone. I mean, that was yeah. the point, right? So in, in a sense, it's more humane. Of course, we can't say non-lethal anymore, right? And the, the new uh, preferred term is less lethal. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Less lethal. And I guess that comes down to user error, right? Like, right. okay, it's supposed to be spurted out in these three-second increments. But who's to say that you can continue to do those three seconds over and over again? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I've long, I've long found like the, the quote less lethal weapons are often some sometimes the more horrific seeming if used wrong. Because like I think of like you, you'd see those guns that like shoot a big wad of paste, you know, or some sort of right. goo, and the idea is you like stick somebody to in place with it, you know. Yeah. And it's like every time I would see those, all I could imagine is somebody being like shot in the face with it and suffocating. And it was like that just seems like a horrific weapon. Uh, you know, if used improperly, like every weapon is eventually used. Right, right. And actually, that's why they, they started saying less lethal because, say, rubber bullets. Yeah. I mean, at close range, those can kill. Yeah. Which brings us to this, this rifle, which is called a less lethal rifle, which again, <laughs> you know, rifle, less lethal. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is the variable velocity rifle. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Lund Technologies makes it. And those, those folks are also responsible for the tickle me Elmo. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's, it's, so they, they were warming up to this with, with first let's get, we'll, we'll develop the tickle me Elmo. And then the next logical leap is, um, a, a rifle. Right, right. How do yeah. we use combustion technology now? Yeah. Now that we've mastered tickle me Elmo. Um, but this, this is the, the less part of the gun is that it uses an explosive gas mixture in the chamber mm-hmm. uh, behind the projectile, say like a, a rubber bullet, rather than a conventional propellant powder like gunpowder. Okay. So you get less like a muzzle flash kind of a situation. Well, yeah, and it allows you to actually calibrate the amount of pressure that you'd like. And okay. it does that in tandem with a laser ranger, ranger finder that, um, range finder rather, that measures the distance of the target in okay. the gun. So then it can sit there and say, oh, okay, that, that person's a hundred feet away. I'm going to 
you know, put in the chamber this amount of explosion so that it doesn't actually kill the person. Right. So, yeah, they're close range. It kind of nerfs them to a certain respect, at least, you know, right. Ballistically speaking, a very painful you know, nerf. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're yeah farther away, because it's kind of like rifles, um, you know, anytime you you hear about like people firing off rif- rifles that have like just tend to have just tremendously long range. And you're like, like, are you really sure that there's nothing, you know, within, you know, uh, this within this distance? But uh, but yeah, if it's like a shorter, uh, you know, the, the variable range, it'll in theory, you know, only have as much punch as it needs. To right. The target. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, in theory, it sounds good, right? Yeah. But then there's the whole user error. And then there's the whole fact that the Pentagon, the Pentagon laid out some cash for, for the prototype here. And, um, they requested that there was actual, uh, shoot to kill option. So they can override. Oh, okay. The, the non-lethal part of it. And well, yeah. switch over to, you know, dead. Which, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that, then, then you get into sort of like, sort of lazy policing, lazy, um, you know, soldiering kind of situation where it's like, well, I'd rather just, you know, shoot to kill, so I'll just, you know, switch the, uh, the trigger. Right. Or if, I imagine if you're in the thick of things and you have a ton of stress and confusion and chaos going on, uh, you know, you might, I mean, maybe you would need to switch over to the shoot to kill option, yeah. but it's, you know, we're humans and that's a tremendous amount of pressure to be under. And yes, you're, you're, you know, if, if the purpose is to disperse the crowd, then you do have this rifle to do so. But yeah, I, the, the sort of decisions that happen in that split second, you just never know. So, yeah. and, it, and it's difficult to even like judge that, you know, having never been in a, like a combat situation, like, you know. If you're in a situation, you know, suddenly it's like, ooh, should I set this to, to lethal or nerf? And, uh, you know, my life is at stake or the life, you know, the lives of innocent civilians or, you know, the, uh, the, the people I'm fighting with. Yeah. And it, what I think is interesting about both of these technologies, the beam and the rifle is that clearly there's a need for, for something to, to allow for crowd control, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you're in Afghanistan or Iraq. But, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to probably weigh the, okay, we want to have the hearts and minds of people against the, we need some sort of force to control the crowd situation. Yeah. And so I do wonder, particularly with the beam, if that's one of the reasons why it didn't necessarily make it through there. I mean, well, also, I, I mean, I hope that it didn't actually like have the name pain ray because that's just, <laughs> that's just shoddy, um, you know, marketing. It's like, Hey, we got this great thing. It's called the pain ray. And, yeah. uh, it's a totally hum- humane way. It's like, whoa, it sounds kind of creepy. Can't you call it something like, uh, variable, like, you know, uh, variable velocity rifle? That sounds. The please stand back rifle. Yeah. 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 No. And actually that just... rifle is nicknamed the big hurt. <laughs> the big hurt. Okay. Yeah. Which again, come on guys, marketing. Yeah. Or may- maybe, you know, it's like it needs a separate title for the, the guys using it. So they'll feel like they're not going out there like, like, all right, guys, if these guys get out of hand, you'll need to pull out your discomfort wand on them. Cause that, you know, <laughs> how, how can you like confidently stride out into, into battle or, or, you know, to face a crowd? Right. Right. Um, okay. I just, I just imagine someone with like a little wizard's cloak on with their wand. Um, which would seem much more benevolent, I suppose. Um, yeah. but I was thinking about this too, is, is, if it were to be put in use, both of those technologies, would it really help the situation? And the the reason I ask that is because I'm thinking about whether or not people could become desensitized to that sort of pain. Um, there was an article published in 1953 by a Harvard anesthesiologist, and he was basically saying that the soldiers wounded in battle complained a lot less than those who had similar 
pains or injuries in a civilian hospital. And the idea is that the wound was less important in the face of survival uh-huh. and that um, the, and there's also sort of an honorable connotation to it. Um, so it sort of made me wonder if you had this constant barrage of pain inducing beams, would, would it become a badge of honor to undergo something like that? And yeah. also, would your own endorphins kick in and, and, and block the pain? Yeah, I mean, it's like you see, you know, these these like riot, uh, you know, images from around the world where it'll be like, you know, the riot guards lined up and there'll be some like just some guy just, you know, really just manning up or berserking, you know, out and just you know running at them or, you know, throwing a rock or, a, you know, or, a, or some sort of like a, you know, flaming stick or something. And uh, and yeah, it's like it could with a slight discomfort beam really work in that situation or right. Know, Right. And not that humans are rats, but there is one study um, that, that was uh, conducted jointly by the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee mm-hmm. and UCLA, and they found that rats don't respond to pain uh, stimuli in the presence of a, pe- a predator or in an environment that provokes fear. Hmm. So the, if there's an imminent danger, it actually suppresses the experience of pain through endogenous opioids. So, I mean, you know, again, we're not rats, but... yeah. You have to sort of look at that correlation and say, is it the same thing that when you have a fear response that you do have these endorphins going through your body and particularly in something like that where you're you're in danger? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you are, we already know this with athletes who uh, not necessarily that they're in danger, but they're performing at these crazy high levels. And when they become injured, the dopamines kick in and they're able to slog through the race and limp off the field or the track or or what have you. And experience that pain later. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a, a that definitely raises a lot of questions about, uh, about less lethal, uh, weapons or just sort of like the, the, just the idea of, you know, using pain as a corrective measure in, in high intensity, uh, uh, you know, confrontations. Yeah. Like maybe like feelings of ickiness are better. Like if you. <laughs> Shame and ickiness. Yeah. Like if you were to sort of like, you know, sort of like a Ghostbusters 2 slime gun, you know, where you sort of like hose everybody <laughs> down in that. Like it doesn't, not enough pressure to like, you know, knock people down or, you know, actually inflict physical pain, but suddenly everybody just feels kind of gross and they just want to go home and take a shower. Right. I mean, and there are other alternatives. There's like the long range acoustic signals that are, you know, that horrible shrieking, um, piercing sound that will disperse a crowd mm-hmm. for certain. Um, I think that one of the concerns though, particularly with the beam is that there's a company called Raytheon, which is, uh, conducting a case study in a California detention center uh-huh. and they're using that beam on prisoners there, which is sort of like, whoa. Okay. And of course, the ACLU has stepped in to say, well, you know, we might have some civil rights issues here, guys. Yeah, because it's an, it's an auditory pain kind of ray, basically. It's right. like, we're going to blast you with physically painful noise. Yeah. And I, I get it. Again, it's another situation when you have a prison riot, mm-hmm. the stakes are really high. You do want something there to help you manage the situation. Yeah. But again, the potential for misuse is pretty high. Yeah. I got to say. You know, I'm not Johnny Cash here, like, <laughs> doing a concert for, for the prisoners. I get that, you know, that there are certain things going on there that you need to try to control, but it does seem to me a little bit of a suspicious Yeah, it comes down situation. to sort of the, like, flipping a button to inflict pain versus, like, beating somebody with a baton. Like, both are, are, are in, in, in a way, both are equally inhumane. Yeah. But one is far easier. And... I, I, I don't know. You, you get into a lot of philosophical questions uh, when, when it comes down to how do you choose to inflict pain on people, and, and and ultimately, how do you get around doing it to begin with? 
Right. And then I guess to your point, too, you start to objectify the person even more. Yeah. Yeah. And does that make a, does that make that situation better or mm. worse? These are, these are actual philosophical questions, but nonetheless. Yeah. You, you, you gotta ask them. But, you know, then you look at the flip side and, you know, out of the military and all, all out of all the warfare, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan, you have a lot of soldiers returning and they've got, um, horrible injuries and major amounts of chronic pain. And that's a real problem too. So you have pain on the other side here. And I guess the, the flip side of that would be, how do you lessen pain? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've figured out how to inflict it, but is there a good viable way to deal with pain um, in the, in the best of, of, of the future sense, you know, the abilities that we have? Yeah. Cause I mean, basically, I mean, if, if, if we can prevent, pain, you know, or, or, or lessen it, uh, to some degree. I mean, that, that helps just in the treatment of the, the core problems, you know? Right. Like, like, you know, no, nobody should have to live with chronic pain, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's the, yeah. The, the key. And of course we've got drugs to help with it, but the problem with that is that they're pretty addictive. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause a drug is doing, generally doing more than just removing the pain. It's also, it also has an, an, an opiate effect to it. Right. Uh, and, and, and especially in cases where it's, you know, stuff like oxycotton. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, you know, classic morphine, uh, situation, all, all that stuff. Right. So it's removing the pain. It's blocking the pain, but it's also providing a high. Yeah. Which, you know, puts your body in that loop and gets all your receptors all lined up to say, Hey, more, more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is that there's a team of doctors who, who actually see the future of wartime pain control, um, in a new form of anesthesia called continuous peripheral nerve block. And it takes a more targeted approach by switching off only the pain signals coming from the injured limb. So it leaves the patient's vital signs intact and the cortical functions unimpaired. And the good news with that is that, you know, you can you can help treat the source of the pain without uh, creating that loop of addiction. Yeah. Or just my, my understanding is also you're not turning off that limb. So it's not like, yeah. oh, I can't feel my leg anymore because I don't want my knee to hurt. It's uh, it, it's it's more targeted than that. Yeah, which has got to help when you're recuperating from an injury mm-hmm. or dealing with chronic pain like that. But if you think about it, um, it's it's sort of like an elementary form of um, an epidural block. It's just much yeah. more targeted. Of course, in an epidural, you you know you can't feel your legs or anything, but yeah. um, <laughs> uh, or so people say. But um, this is th- this is a lot smarter choice, and and you know of course warfare is never going to go away. So being able to use something like this is really great for mm-hmm. for soldiers who are returning. Well, warfare might go away. Let's let's not completely rule it out. Oh boy, I'm feeling like a pessimist this morning. <laughs> <laughs> this presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. But the, these blocks are actually made possible by this invention of small microprocessor-controlled pumps. So they bathe nerves in this these non-addictive drugs. And that's what blocks the transmission of pain signals. And the cool thing about this is that the pumps can also be used after they're treated in the hospital. So they can use this for a couple of weeks, uh, administer the, the uh, pump themselves, and be able to control the pain. Oh, cool. But without, yeah, without, but without self-administering, uh, an opiate effect. Exactly. Would, uh, yeah, yeah. Generally not be good. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the same category, we've got another sort of erasing pain technology. Yeah. This is the one that, uh, 
seen in a couple of different articles, they, they make the inevitable comparison to uh, the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the, uh, um, what's it, Charlie Kaufman screenplay? Yeah. Um, uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Uh, about the whole, like, oh, I have a painful memory, uh, go in and erase that memory so I don't have to deal with it anymore. Right. I'm going to be tortured by this horrible breakup yeah. or this awful thing that happened. Um, and they don't necessarily erase specific memories, though. Is this right? With this technology? Yeah, this this technology is not quite as uh, far-fetched and surgical. It's, uh, yeah, it comes from uh, researchers at the University of Toronto, Seoul, Korea, and Bristol. Um, and uh, Bristol. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, it's specifically designed for chronic pain. And we're talking generally like, you know, high levels of chronic pain. Like not just a list of, oh, I'd rather sleep in, but... Oh, I need to take something so I can get out of bed, you know, in the morning. That's generally what they're they're talking about here. Not like stubbed toes and or even, you know, you know, sort of marginally sore backs. Specific, specifically, you know, intense pain. Yeah. Um and uh, and, and also people who have malfunctioning um uh pathways in their synapses which uh, which cause them to re-experience the pain due to uh, abnormal um persistence of their uh, mental record of that pain. Okay. So it is kind of tied. It's kind of tied into the memory of the pain, you know? Okay. But, um, but not like, oh, I, you know, it's not, not, not like an emotional thing, like in the, uh, the, the movie. Um, but they mainly, they do this by inhibiting a molecule called, uh, PKM Zeta. And this is a molecule involved in the storage of memories that, uh, reside, um, in a part of the brain involved in the perception of pain. So uh, they've successfully eliminated. They can ex- successfully eliminate the painful memory uh, at the heart of uh, some of some kinds of neuropathic pain. And uh, so far, apparently, the tests have worked on mice. Yeah, yeah. And so it's sort of and that, what I thought was interesting about this is it's jamming that right. Mm-hmm. So it's basically saying, okay, you can't. The number of res- receptors get reduced, and then the the memories of that disappear. Yeah, and that's what they've seen in the mice, at least. Yeah. So I guess that. Begs the question of it, it can, in, you know, they can develop drugs to inhibit painful memories by uh, targeting this molecule. But what about other forms of memory or, yeah. you know, what does that do to the mice, you know, the, the memories that they have or how their brain functions? Yeah, because, again, we, we go back to, like, the purpose of pain and, you know, the the, the, the meaning of pain. And it, it has as much as we're like, oh, you know, I, I wish I, you know, wouldn't have to, to suffer. It's like, it's, it's a vital part of who we are. Like to steal a quick quote from William Faulkner, he said, given the choice between the experience of pain and nothing, I would choose pain. Or, um, uh, C.S. Lewis had a bit and of course he wrote The Problem of Pain. And, uh, this, it, you know, it's, this has more of a theological, um, you know, standpoint, but he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So, I mean, in, in, you know, you get into Buddhism too, where it's, you know, pain, you know, suffering is a part of who we are. And, right. and you can't have, if you just seek out pleasure, you're going to get, you're going to get more pain. You got to have that, that balance. So you it's, can't have one without the other. Yeah. It's just part of the feedback system, you know? Uh, right. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like when they're coming up with, uh, you know, trying to come up with robots that can, uh, that can, can move and interact in a social environment. You kind of have to come up with like a, a kind of a pain sensation. You have to sort of create it, uh, you know, for, uh, for robots to a certain extent, or at least a machine version of pain. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. That's like, it's almost like the, the robots have the inability, like the congenital inability to, to feel pain. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, if we didn't program that, then they might, Smush us into little pieces. Yeah, or you know, it's just it's just like it's a, it's again it just comes down to am I 
Am I touching a, a pan that's too hot? Mm-hmm. Should I be wearing, you know, a glove? Oh, did I burn my finger and I need to have correct, you know, do something? And then also just like behavior stuff, you know, it's yeah. like, um, you, 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 you have that really painful mistake, be it a physical pain or emotional pain. And, uh, that tends to be something you don't do again. You know, it's, right. you, you learn from that pain. So, so yeah, what if we end up, you know, erasing or lessening pains that are shaping who we are? Like what, what happens then? You get into some, weird uh ground there potentially no no it's an interesting proposition do i mean could you you're right i mean i guess the question is could you experience happiness at all yeah if you didn't know the difference because we've all encountered those people who seem happy all the time and they're just boring you know yeah they are yeah that's that's when i just pinch them yeah and i say like there learn from that yeah All right. I don't, I think we've covered, uh, the, the future of pain as much as we can with this topic. I mean, this topic is fascinating and there's so many different ways we can go with it, but yeah. So yeah. Next time you see someone who's happy, pinch them. Yeah. And then, and then quiz them on what they've learned. <laughs> so, hey, we have a, a little, uh, listener mail here. Let's see. What do we have? Well, let's see. Um, all right. We have, uh, some listener mail from, uh, one, uh, Laverne and, uh, they write, hey guys, my name is Laverne. Um, and that's it. No, there's more. Uh, I was just listening to your show about vertical living, and the scenario as you described it would be logically impossible. The reason I say that is because if you really lived on, say, the 200th floor of that building, and all the work was done by robots, I agree that would be great. But if all the work is done by robots, I wish you would explain to me how you're going to learn to, you're going to be able to earn money, to buy food, to keep yourself alive. Uh, even if it's grown in the building, there's still costs involved in growing it, and there is no way that it would be free. Um, and they go on to expand on this a little more uh, and then say, uh, so my prediction is it will never happen, or if it does, then it will be the start of the end of civilization. Because if money drives innovation, innovation will stop, and in another century, the robots will be worn out, and no one would have the skills to survive. Uh, but that's just the theory of a stone worker stuck in my shop listening to podcasts while working. So if you disagree with me, please let me know. This listener raises some important, uh, uh, you know, questions. Cause yeah, as we, if we find ourselves in a situation where we hand over an increasingly large slice of our lives to machines and you, I mean, you get into the, just the basic problem of utopia and, uh, yeah, and actually, you and I sort of had this outside conversation about this. Yeah. Because um, I remember we were talking, I think you were making me feel better about the technological singularity. And I think you were saying like that the best case scenario would be that we just, we don't exchange money anymore. There is no need for money. Yeah, you'd have to, it would, you know, be more of like a, just a complete like socialist uh, kind of situ- you know, situation. Uh, like, I, I always keep coming back to... Uh, the, the culture series by Ian M. Banks, where he describes a, 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 cult, a, a future, far future culture where humans basically do what they want and leave leave, the, leave this uh, anarchist uh, hedonist lifestyle, and the robots are more or less their caretakers that take care of everything. Right. And uh, and the way he he doesn't you know, like he lays it out in in a, in a way where you you get a sense of loss. There's something that's missing, um, but from humanity. But then it's also you know like, you know people are still doing what they want and they're you know engaging in their hobbies, uh, et cetera. So it's, you know, problematic, uh, and thought provoking, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, it also ties really into to this podcast, like the whole idea of pain, like utopia. Yeah, I was just thinking about yeah. that too. Are they, are they, <laughs> they're being served by the robots where they're probably going around pinching each other. Yeah. Just to say, remember, 
Yeah, do they just turn it? Is it you know? It basically turns into uh, any of the other Wes Anderson movies. Uh, like I'm thinking about the was the Darjeeling Limited, where it just um, where there's not an actual father figure, and it's just about three um, like rich privileged guys that are Brothers. horrible. Yeah, yeah. So like life becomes that film as opposed to the Life Aquatic. Wow. I guess that's not my favorite. Uh, Life Aquatic, I, I love. I yeah, wasn't yeah. a big fan of Darshan Limited. No, no, me too. But there, there's some interesting scenes. Actually, that opening mini movie is pretty interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was beautifully shot, as I recall. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Laverne, thanks for the uh, uh, the thoughts. I, I think it's it's all yeah, thought provoking stuff. Very thought provoking. Thank you. And on uh, a much uh, smaller email, we received from one Nick, and uh, Nick write, uh, wrote in to say. Uh, uh, listen to your podcast, Life on the 500th Floor, last night, and after hearing uh, about your interest, uh, he's talking about me, in battles on sky bridges, I threw this together in MS Paint. Paint. Hope you like it. I'll hold it up to the microphone, but you can't really hear it. Um, but uh, he drew an awesome MS Paint image of uh, stick figures fighting on the sky bridge. So. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. We need to post it on our Facebook page. I should, yes, yes. When this comes out, I'll try and remember to post it, because it's exactly like it appeared in my brain. <laughs> You uh, you drop right into his brain there, Nick. Yep. So there you have it. Uh, if you know, if you want to check out this image um, that we're talking about, or um, you know, engage with us in the social medias, then you, know, you can uh, come by uh, our Twitter or Facebook pages. We're Blow the Mind on both of those. You can also drop us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. <laughs>